0: This podcast is supported by The Oxford Method, an online UK university preparatory program designed to successfully prepare international students for Britain's top universities. As a patron of the show, you can get up to 40% off their over 30 course options, as well as their university preparatory services. In addition to those crazy discounts, you also get access to extra bonus episodes, patron-only content, ad-free episodes, and much more. So why wait around? Head over to patreon.com slash podcast and sign up today. Now on with the show. Hello and welcome to the 39th episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Dr. Anne Wand. And welcome to our new series, Giving Voice to the Voiceless, where today we have the pleasure of talking with Eugenia Aguilar-Nova, who will be talking with us about her work concerning inequality, wages, and working conditions in Mexico. Thank you for joining us.
1: Uh, hi, Anne. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here in CNC. Uh,
0: it's a
1: pleasure. As per usual, we'll start off by having you
0: tell us what drink you were having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Eugenia, would you like to start?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I'm Mexican born and I started working in science, technology, and innovation, I'm always thinking of technical stuff to make the world better. Uh, Eventually, I moved to Sussex University to do a master's degree in management of innovation. And funnily enough, I ended up working on entrepreneurship and development. And um, this took me around the Middle East and Africa. And eventually, I came back to my country where I thought I could do some work, especially in the South. Um, Throughout my years in England, I tried to... Uh, explain to people how Mexico, although it's a high-middle-income country, had different realities, really. But I didn't manage to portray or really explain what was happening. And and now I understand because I came back to my country uh, trying to apply all the knowledge I had about development and innovation and how this can drive society. And I just came to realize that I didn't know my own country myself.
0: Mm. interesting so what led you initially to wanting to raise awareness about the inequality in Mexico I know that you said you were born in Oaxaca but then you came back and one of the things we talked about um previous discussions was there's this perception of of the poverty levels and the issues with regards to you know drug issues and uh slave trade etc and and People going missing. You'd mentioned that there were a lot of issues, and I think in talking to you, I'd heard these stories. But a lot of times, I always thought it was a bit of um, an exaggeration, or maybe um, you know stories to kind of prevent some people from going to certain places. Um, could you tell us a bit about the area where you lived and and kind of how that led to the research and work that you're doing now?
1: Okay, so. Well, when I came back to Mexico, I didn't come to Oaxaca, which is in the southern part of Mexico, and historically, it's one of the three of the three most impoverished states of the country. Mm-hmm. So I didn't come here, and I didn't grow up here either. I grew up in, in the center of the country, and that's where I went back. I went back to Mexico City and started to work, and... While I was working, I was reminded of many things. First of all, the working conditions, like you have to work Monday to Saturday, <laughs> eight hours every day. And um, and I knew that because I had worked before in Mexico, but I'd been abroad for 12 years in Europe. And well, Europe is like uh, the heaven. Of working conditions in the, the rest week. of the world, yeah, on
0: yeah. paper, by
1: the way, on paper. I don't know I why mean, it's someone the would quit that to come back to you know to one of the places that I know. We miss you. Six days <laughs> holiday. Oh my god. Yeah. So anyway, I, I went to Mexico City. I was doing my work. I realized I had less freedom of time in how using used my time and how this had an implication in progressing my career to have more time to to develop, uh, to entertain yourself, to have family time, friends time. Eventually, what I decided to do was a social enterprise. And this social enterprise was a business I had in mind even before uh, going to Europe uh, about 15 years ago. And this was working with artisans from indigenous regions from Oaxaca, the place where I, I am from. And I had all these great ideas about development because I had worked in different um, projects worldwide. But this time I wasn't doing it in an institutionalized way. I was doing uh, that uh, individually. And this uh, led me to come to Oaxaca to develop and work uh, with the artisans. And 90% of them were where we met and to visit the places. So I started to get to know the place because before I used to travel to all the touristic places, which are beautiful and so easy to access. And then I started to go to roads that take forever, for as <laughs> four hundred kilometers, I don't know, 250 miles. It takes you eight hours, right? So, um, and that's when I realized the, about the great difference. In Mexico City, I could realize because uh, some people cannot pay, well, the rent that I used to pay are kind of two salaries of the average person. Uh, so I, I realized there was a lot of inequality and I kept on using the public transport, but that was Painful, really painful. Um, It's, uh, and, well, I, I won't get into that, but I started to realize that although Mexico City is one of the best places where to live in Mexico, there was a lot of inequality. And after starting to visit places, little towns and communities in Oaxaca is when I came to realize the stark, Difference that there is. Um, I guess my interest to make it to make a, a long response short came from first of all living in living it under my own skin after mm. coming back and realizing the difference uh, between salaries, <coughs> wages, and living standards that I myself was experiencing, and then by the observation uh, that of the city. I think using public transport in in equal places is a great uh, tool to actually realize what's Mm -hmm. happening around. And visiting the communities, that was, I think, one of the strongest experiences for me. Mm -hmm. No, definitely.
0: Um, And I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about, and you gave me quite a lot of really interesting information, which will be available in the show notes on our website after after we post this, um, is you talked about how there is a link between the inequality in Mexico and the history of the country, especially over the past 200 years. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yes. Well, um... What happens with Mexico nowadays is um, the 16th largest economy in the world, but is the 12th most unequal in the world as well. And this, as you mentioned, it has a history. It is true that um, actually we are, ha- we are seeing a trend on how living standards are dropping around the world in comparison to what happened in the past three decades. Mm. Uh, uh, So this is something that is happening in Mexico as well. The difference, I would say, lies in that Mexico has been unequal throughout uh, its entire life as an independent country. Okay, so uh, the, the war to gain independence lasted 21 years. So you can imagine a country after 21 years of war is totally ravaged and impoverished. Mm. And when was this? Could you let us know? Uh, yeah, 1821. Okay. <laughs> uh, where is it? Yeah, 1821. Okay. Um, so after this, uh, Mexico went into a lot of poverty. What happened during colonization? is that there was extreme poverty, yes, but there was extreme poverty for a um, small number of people that were um, at the lowest um, socioeconomic ranking, let's say. Uh, let's remember that back then there was slavery.
0: Mm. So
1: one of the first things that we managed to get as an independent country was the abolition of the slavery. And that in that sense, Mexico has been quite progressive country, because Mm. we managed to get, like, some of the best laws uh, passed through very early on. Uh, We're we're not so good at enforcing them. Um, However, um, what happened is um, we had this mobility in the wages, and slavery was abolished, but the land was ravaged. And impoverished there weren't any kind of practical means as to make production happen and although the wages were regularized or how how could i say it, homogenized okay um nominally they were but actually they weren't if we look at studies comparing the living standards of mexico city with london 200 mm-hmm. years ago it well 200 50 years ago, just to make sure that we get into the differentiation between colonization and independence. Um skilled workers had pretty much the same living standards as l- Londoners. Okay. Yeah? And that even uh so the poverty and inequality comes when we're talking about unskilled labor. Yeah. Okay. And when we go there, we see that although the wage is nominally raised uh, in comparison to what a person could afford, like the basic basket, we call it, uh, for feeding themselves and getting uh, housing, it decreased. So the living standards were going down, 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 down. And something that happens in uh, after gaining independence, is civil war because everyone is starting to try to understand how the country is going to rule, to be ruled, and yeah, I guess the, neg- the internal negotiations that didn't exist before start happening. So mm-hmm. we have this civil war just thirty years after gaining independence, and this civil war lasted about eighteen years as well, wow. intermittent, but it was quite long. Okay, and obviously. Um, what happens during war is that, again, you have the land ravaged or your production means are gone and you have more poverty. So um, it's funny because in, while we, we appreciate in the world, like after the second revolution, second industrial revolution came, you know, um, how can I, uh, let me go back. Let me just explain this. What happens through, when there's a technological innovation that disrupts and changes the, the rules of the game? What happens first is that there are big winners and big losers. And there's uh, a degrowth, let's say it. Uh, we have, uh, there are kind of, um, there's an instability because people don't know what's going to happen. Mm. But after the innovation or this technological change matures and people understand it, then the economic growth uh, booms. Okay. And, that, okay. and that's when we're supposed to have uh, the big winners having their winnings spreading out throughout the population, right? So that's one of the assumptions. And in Mexico, that did not happen because at the time that there was this booming throughout the second industrial revolution, uh, we were in war. <laughs> so okay. we didn't manage to make the to gain the benefits of this. After that, this war this war uh, was settled. Then we had war with France and with the US. And Mexico lost about mm, mm, half of its territory throughout those wars. Okay. So we're it talking was, like
0: the country of Texas
1: or country of Texas. They like to say country of Texas.
0: We're talking about parts of Texas, parts of California. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it's
1: everything, like from Arizona, even Nebraska. I mean, it's New just Mexico. Kind of, yeah, really. The thing is, there were a lot of, of there was a lot of upheaval trying to make things happen. So let's say at some point, it's like Mexico was recovering and being productive and another shock came. And usually the shock was war. Okay. Right. So, so that's why we keep on, we have, uh, what. where I'm going is that throughout these 200 years of independence, we have not managed to act, to actually decrease the inequality. So we have been missing on the gaining some, on gaining the benefits of the these big global changes. But we're managing to absorb the, the opposites, you know, when that the, the actual trend on raising inequality and decreasing living standards, that's something that we are actually picking up.
0: Mm-hmm. So basically, if I understand it correctly, since colonialism has sort of ceased in the country, the standard or the rise of inequality
1: has gone up. Would you say that that's accurate? Um, in general terms, yes, absolutely. Um, we have different changes. We have a president that lasted 30 years, approximately 30 years. And with him, we have, his uh, His name is Professor Diaz, and he's been mistreated, I'd say, throughout history because he was a dictator. He was at the factory dictator. In Mexico, we have never had dictatorship, you see, Mm -hmm. but our fellow Latin Americans call us the perfect dictatorship because we have elections that were invalid or not as transparent as one would like them to be. And you keep on having the same people in power for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. And so we have this, this guy, Porfirio Diaz, his first 18 years were amazing. Yeah. And and that's something that not a lot of Mexicans would would say. But uh, he brought a lot of infrastructure. He paid the debts. He managed to keep the country safe and healthy. And then what happened to him, I guess, is what happens to a lot of people who consider themselves the best and the only ones who can grow. And yeah. Uh, the last years of the porfiriato. So a uh, sharp uh, losing of living conditions for the very unskilled people. So for the okay. for for the bottom forty percent, yeah. Mm-hmm. But although in history we don't even want to mention him as a as someone who actually managed to do something good for the country, he managed to have this. Forty percent of people in poverty, dire poverty, I'd say. But now we have forty percent of people living in extreme poverty, nearly twenty percent in poverty, and another twenty percent vulnerable to fall into poverty at any minute. Yeah, and and let's talk.
0: Yeah, I was going to say let's talk about that a little bit. Um, Because in your work, you say that 50% of Mexican society has been living in poverty for the past 30 years, and that 40% of full-time employees cannot even afford to buy basic food for their families. Can you explain, you know, you, you talked about this dictatorship, but can you explain why nowadays this is persistent?
1: Um... Yeah, I think something that is really important, well, there are two main points here. One is that nominal wages in Mexico have been stagnant for 30 years. Um, As a personal anecdote, uh, when I left to to Europe, I was having, uh, I don't know, uh, let's say, uh, thousand pound salary okay to make it easy Uh, i left i was away for 15 years and when i came back and i had 15 years of experience and i had a master's degree and i had so many things under my pocket in my career they were offering me the same wow wow uh, so that was personal anecdote. So I started to research to try to understand what was happening. Mm. And I started to ask uh, friends, members of family, relatives, what was happening with them. And then it's like, oh, wow, yeah, the, the salaries were stagnant. And that was just a personal appreciation. Then I turned into researchers' economics. Economists were that actually were working on that, and effectively, that's what happened. 30 years of stagnation. The only way to go up the ladder was actually having an executive uh, position or a better position. But as you may know, these positions are very few. So that's what is happening to the professional middle class. Then I wanted to know what was happening with the unskilled or bottom uh, people at the bottom of the ladder. And that's when I realized that wages have been stagnant. Actually, that's what has happened. Now, in Mexico, as well as in Latin America, uh, there's a lot of informality. Yeah, about 60% of the working force work informally. How many, you said 60%? Yeah, it's, yeah, that that is that high. It's that high. Wow. Uh, informality means that you don't have welfare. You don't have access to health systems. You don't have access. You don't have a secure household, uh, you know, and that you don't have means to retire. You need to keep working throughout your whole life because you are not going to have a way to stop working, you know? So what happens here is like, you go to the supermarket, we still have people that help you to pack your stuff. It's not because it's a necessary work, it's because the people who are there are 65 plus, and that's the job they can do. And that's how they make money, like with the tips of people who give them something for packing up their groceries. You know, so wow. so this is on uh, informality. But first, we're talking about the wages, and then uh, the other point are working conditions. Why informality is so high? And I think part of it is because the working conditions are not are not helpful. First of all, you have to work six days a week, forty eight hours, uh, eight hours every day. Yeah. And then you will have extra hours that, according to the law, you are supposed to, they are supposed to be optional. And if you take them, if, if a worker takes them, uh, they are going to be paid uh, three times the regular wage. That does not happen. As I said, and then also, it wasn't until five months ago that the law changed, but also in Mexico, we only had six days of holiday per year. That meant one week because you had to work for six days a week. So you work a whole year and you get one week of holiday.
0: That and that's changed. for everybody across the board, no matter what, if you're unskilled, your middle income, everybody is yeah. the same.
1: Yeah, for professionals, uh, informally, you have this kind of rule where instead of getting one week, you got two. And you could consider yourself extremely lucky. Uh, So so it changed, thankfully, five months ago. And now we have two weeks holiday uh, for across the board for everybody. Um, But first of all, is that Mexico is one of the countries where you have least women working. And why is this? Because there's not access to healthcare. There's no access to childcare. Uh, So if you don't have these things and you have children, you are unable to work 48 hours. Even less so if your boss is going to tell you, oh, you know, I need you to stay for three more hours. Yeah. so it's it's a, I think it's a very interesting dynamic about how you use your time and what the time allows you to do.
0: You know it's it it's it's a lot to process because um you know I think about you know thinking about you know single parents you know like how would you even how would you how would you even do that? you know if there's no necessary like necessarily like any subsidies put in place um it it does make me wonder in an economy where you do need able bodied people how how can how can this continue how can this be a persistent way of living if it's essentially discouraging people from Producing the next generation, if there is no support systems put in place.
1: Well, what happens is, if ask there are studies made here in Mexico about what, uh, how women manage to do, to do that, to raise children, mm. uh, because yeah, I like um, most of the work relies on the woman, and in this case, what. That's uh, that's one of the responses to informality. People just work on the side because they can manage their time. Mm. They can go and pick up their children, and first of all, they rely on the grannies, the grandpas, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other friends that work informally, and maybe can look after your child one day, and you look after their children another day. Mm. Uh, but that's why there's informality. Well, one of the reasons. There are many reasons. That that's one of them. But also, what the studies show is women that are unskilled tend to get pregnant earlier on. Okay. And it's it's this cycle of how you use your time and how you make your decisions. Because if early on they they start looking at, at taking on the childcare that, the state, that is absent with the state, uh, then women cannot keep on studying. And if they have studied, they cannot work formally. Mm. And even if they have made quite a few things advancing their career, usually they are not to be taken into account. You know, there are some professionals that work uh, on the side for people that pay them. But will not give them credit, which
0: I think kind of
1: gets into sort of this
0: this next question. Um, you know, you, you, we've talked about um, you know the the working conditions and the poor working conditions, and now the majority of formal jobs in Mexico are, as you would call it, um, not 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 great. Let's say in terms of of the what the working conditions are. Um, could you explain to us, you know, a little bit about... You You said that people sort of negotiate, right? You know, I watch your kid, you'll watch my kid, and that's for those that are maybe at home with, with children. But um, it strikes me that... there's a sense of... And, and we've talked about this before, of, of people being used to being exploited and possibly using... They sort of navigate the system to the best of their ability. Would you say that that's that's accurate?
1: Yeah. I think um, we have to realize what, um, yes, you said it perfectly. Some people say why they choose to do that, but they don't choose. They just navigate the best Mm. they can, that, that kind of water. Um. I wouldn't be able to say culturally or which are the underlying values it's uh, mm. that rules the, the the country to actually say why people are so used to exploitation mm. um but definitely um there's a trend uh, there are some sayings, you know like um you don't if you don't stay after hours and take on more responsibility that is going to be unpaid, simply you're not pulling your weight. And that's not only your boss telling, it's your colleague saying as well. Yeah. So it's kind of generalized. And also we have in Mexico, we are strong advocates of meritocracy. You know, it's kind of if someone is poor, it's because they want to, because there's work so if they are poor, it's because they don't want to work. And um, so okay. I think that's quite subtle in the sense that um, if you have had not had experience um this kind of realities, it might be difficult, you know. When I started to work, I was well off let's say, yes, I only had two weeks holiday, but I had two weeks holiday, which was amazing for your first job, <laughs> you know, in, in under Mexican uh, rules. Um, I had a good salary. I could afford quite a few things. Um, and I thought, okay, but but I've been, I've been working hard. I have I had sleepless nights. I had had to do quite a few things. I volunteered to do a number of activities so I could kind of, uh, I was always curious and interested in doing things. So I thought, well, but I have a good profile because of all these uh, activities. So I thought I worked my way through, right? But now when I went to visit uh, different communities in Oaxaca, it's like, oh, you know, I could w- wake up at 5 in the morning and just go and de- get water from the river or go and cut wood to cook which is very different from oh I'm going to be reading doing my newspapers homeworks and projects uh, it's very different so um so i think um there's this this narrative and also this big divide in which you don't get to see straight the realities of other people, or better said, you are raised, or at least I was raised, in a society where you have different neighborhoods, as if you were in London, you know, you you could be in Chelsea, and then you go, I don't know, somewhere Mm. where there's knife crime. and um, But you just don't go. Uh, so it's the same. I, I was raised that way, and I was used to so many things because I grew up with them. So I wouldn't not question them. It's just how things are. And I guess part of the inequality thing in Mexico is that we grew up. We were born in inequality. We grew up in inequality, and we just don't know anything different.
0: So would you say that? Um... There's almost like an acceptance.
1: Uh, mm, yes, yeah. it's it's an accept, not an acceptance. It's more kind of an acceptance of the narrative that the uh, Mexico is an industrious country, it's not a poor country, and therefore, if you want to work hard, you will be well. But we have not realized a lot of. A lot of the population have not realized that the opportunities or the way you can work your way through are different, or that not everybody is going to get as far as everybody or have else. The
0: same available options, like some of us might be able to just turn on the tap to get our water as opposed to having to go down to a river to do those sorts of things.
1: Exactly. Just to give you a number um, social mobility is this term that we used to see, how much uh, children move on the socioeconomic uh, ladder uh, um, in comparison to their parents. So if you have um, if you divide the population of Mexico in five from mm-hmm. the lowest to the highest, in the bottom 20%, we have 49 people who live in poverty And from these 49 people who live in poverty, only 13 will be able to move from extremely poor to poor. So that's telling you kind of, if you are born poor, you may end up living poor your entire life. And that's kind of of not only scandalous, but it's really worrying. If we look at the amount of people who live in poverty now, mm. mm-hmm.
0: would you say that inequality in Mexico today is
1: institutionalized? Absolutely. I, I, for yes, what I've just mentioned, I think there's kind of this um, assumed narrative that is not entirely correct that we have assumed and that we kind of adopt unconsciously. And it's quite difficult to make a move, a change in that mentality, especially if you are on the top 20%, that is not poor and not vulnerable. And then, of course, there's the middle class that that's this uh, small amount of people who manage to move from vulnerable to not vulnerable, which had certain advantages, you know, to be able to to get there. Of course, they had to work hard, but they had some differences, or clear differences in comparison to the rest 60% 60 of the population. So there's this um, culturally ingrained narrative, as well as the system, that if the system is, uh, yes, we didn't get into that, but it's true. I was mentioning 60% of the workforce in Mexico, approximately, uh, it will be kind of 55% perhaps, I don't have the, the exact number right now on me, um, works in informality. And then you have the work, the ones who work informally, uh, formally. From these ones, Uh, By law, you are supposed to have the retirement plan, access to health care, and access to decent housing, right? So the public, the health public service is in shambles. And a lot of people don't trust it, first of all. So you don't value it that much. But then, even if you value it, there's a, there's a, big amount of employers who hire you and pay you, but don't give you the social welfare, which is housing, retirement, and health.
0: So then how do you prepare for those things? Do you just have to create your own separate account and save up if you can even do that?
1: If you are able to do that, of course you do that. And and that's that's what happens. If you have if you are able to pay six minimum wages, uh, which is they equal to that for so six minimum wages, you are able to retire and, be, and to have a well off retirement. But then, imagine what type of person are you, so you can save six minimum wages while you are still spending and making your your life. And so it's pretty much inaccessible to most of pe- to most people. Um, But um, the other thing is, how do you involve women? How do mm. you involve women in the workforce? Mm. Because uh, we are 50% of the population, you know? 50% of the population, and we are one of the countries where uh, women's activity in the in workforce is quite low. And this is precisely because child care is not institutionalized so if you don't have support to look after your children then you have to have uh again the, econo- uh, the economic differential where you can afford for to pay for your for your children's care um so i would say that's part of being institutionalized apart from that imagine if two parents are um there's no there's not a lot of part timing in Mexico. Not a lot of part timing. So if a woman wants to work and to make enough money so it's worth the the effort has to do the 48 hours. Um, so how do you manage to have your children, you know well looked after? There's so many women that are tried through this informal market of relatives and friends to look after each other's children. But how safe is that? Yeah. How, how safe in the first place? How, um, what kind of quality could you offer to these children yeah. in the development of their abilities and capacities? So I would say that these are kind of things that actually institutionalized inequality. It seems
0: from what you're telling me, it just seems quite cyclical. and And I think it sort of gets back into this idea of you know these are the cards we've been dealt. So how do we work our way around this to the best of our abilities so we can keep a roof over our head and keep our kids fed and safe and everything else?
1: Um, well, there are quite a few things going on. If we're talking about stagnation of wages, then we have to talk about increasing wages and yes. what uh, and that may seem obvious but it's not that obvious because if you increase wages uh the let's say the employers are going to lose on their uh, on their profit right so what's happening now i don't know if you have heard about isabel weber she's an economist uh, who is making the news uh, these days? Because she has told, she's been talking about grid inflation. and she's saying that inflation has been looked at, uh, has been studied in the wrong way, because actually it's not at the cost of labor or the cost of um, inputs that are making inflation happen, but it's gridflation. It's just the grid for profit. It's kind of we're not going to lose anything on our profit, although we have. A uh, big, big profit. So it's kind of, uh, let's say, in a very gross way. If you are having a thousand percent profit, why wouldn't you be happy with nine hundred percent pr- profit? Why do you have to uh, level up again the prices for the public if you get an increase of wages? So first of all, is I think is first when there's uh, when there's a stagnation of wages and the wages. Are not good enough for paying your basic food, never mind housing, never mind clothing, never mind education, but mm. just food. You are working 48 hours a week and you cannot pay the food of your family. It's adamant, it's really important to raise wages. And the second thing is when you have this level of poverty, which is very high and it's historical. You don't break, um, you know, how things are path dependency. You go, you take a path and then it's quite difficult to kind of change paths or to, mm. to you know. So part of it is having the programs that are anti poverty and develop, developing uh, abilities, you know. But how are you going to develop abilities if your mom is, Uh, unemployed and looking after you and working in in informality and you never see your dad because he's working 48 hours a week and Mm. the schools are not great. You know, (laughs) it's like pretty much the top 20% of population uh, of the, well, the population at the top 20% have studied in different schools. Maybe University in public sc- in a public university because they have good standard. But you have to have kind of high school and middle school and primary school in a private school so you can compete and get the good spaces in the public university or to pay for your good private university. So um, we're finding that cash transfers actually work. And in Mexico, uh, we have, uh, in the past four and a half years, we have had a massive increase in cash transfers. And this could sound like a good idea if you focalize and you really address them into the households that most need it. The problem is that although the increase has been amazing, really, uh, it's been huge, what is happening is that it's going to the households that are on the, uh, you know, not not the not the poorest ones, not the extreme poverty ones, not the poverty ones, but going to the vulnerable ones, mm-hmm. and sometimes even to the top twenty percent. So there's a real need to actually make uh, to focalize this uh, is cash transfers because it's an expensive. Um, Um, It's an expensive public mechanism. And it's okay as long as it is an investment that is going to uh, have an effect on the people we really want to support. But if it's not doing that, then it's more than an investment. It could end up as an expenditure. And as as an expenditure that is not going to have impact Mm -hmm. and could just end up in, you know, Um, and we don't know. <laughs> we don't know where it goes, or so if, if you if your money doesn't, you know, doesn't do what you want it to do. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I don't know if that kind of response uh, and I and part of it as well, the support for women, support for women for childcare, to actually not be in Mexico is still very. It's quite normal to receive questions such as, "Are you married?" how old are you oh you are in the age that you may want to have children so those are all big red lights and big no-nos because then even if you have a certain age and you don't want to have children yet uh you may not be offered the job because you are a woman in a in, a, in an H- age fracture. to have yeah. children
0: yep So yeah,
1: if we want to have this 50% of the population going through the workforce and being productive and active and satisfied, yes, um, a lot of support for women. Absolutely.
0: Um, If we could round this up with one final question. Um, You said to me some time ago that the Mexican government has a slogan and that slogan is the poor, First, what okay. steps should the Mexican government be taking, in your opinion, in order to follow through on that particular slogan?
1: Well, I think. Well, first of all, is um, what I mentioned: uh, change in working conditions, as in working hours, and enforcing that people is uh, insured with well-being, with uh, housing. Health uh, access to health services and re- retirement plans. Uh, secondly, um, yeah, the support for women, women in vulnerable places and in indigenous communities are the most marginalized. Many of them have not have not even finished primary school, and uh, higher uh, like. of the population in Oaxaca just finished, uh, don't even have secondary school. Yeah, so there's a lot of, they need to improve uh, the services, education services, health services, childcare services. There's a lot of people that if they they fell ill, immediately they fell into poverty. They fall into poverty because if working, you cannot have savings, you stop working. And what happens to you? And then the cash transfers, as I mentioned, they have to be vocalized. And also, as some people are promoting a progressive way of paying taxes, you know, like um, in Mexico, of the population have around 70% of the wealth of the country. But they're not paying 70% of the taxes. They are kind of, uh, it's about 30%. So if you can have all that wealth, maybe you should pay in a way that is more, that resembles more what you can do. But these are just kind of quite a few ideas. I'm sure a lot of people will have some more specific ideas about what can be done as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I think think there'll be a lot of listeners that will be able to relate to this in some capacity, even if they're not from Mexico. I I think that there will be a lot of elements within this in terms of proper services for women for those who have children, for those who are in need of healthcare. Um, I think that that is a universal element that is lacking with a lot of governments that is not being taken as seriously as it needs to be. Totally, yes. Um, and, and I think, you know, with that, I think that, you know, there's a lot of discussions that can be had in future, whether it's, um, you know, the work that you're doing. And if you're listening and you have, uh, you want to participate in the discussion or you have questions that you want to give to Aohenya, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure you'd be very happy to um talk to them in any capacity about the work that you're doing. Um and sure. like to, yeah. And if you'd like the those details, um, you know, feel free to give us um, you know, um an email and I'd be happy to pass Aohenya's details on if that's okay with you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that that'll be fine. Um I just want to say one thing. I would be really interested to know what happens in India. Uh, it's funny, but uh, looking at global trends and country-by-country studies, Mexico has quite a few similarities with India. So although we are seem to be like these very different cultures, I don't know if that question about the underlying social values may have something to do with it. So, yeah, it will be really interesting to see that.
0: Well, I, I think I think so and if uh if you're listening um uh, we have an episode with Pragati uh, Gupta who does um she does a talk with us in um episode 38 where she's talking about uh the caste system and how that is manifested through education and the sort of effects that it can have um and the role that the government plays in p- possibly perpetuating these negative stereotypes so um I'm sure you know, that she would be a good person to listen to and possibly talk to in future.
1: Great. Yeah.
0: But for now, I have to say that's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Dr. Anne Wand. I'd like to thank Eugenia Aguilar-Nova for joining us at the studio this afternoon. Additional information on today's topic will be available on our website in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this series and you'd like to check out our bonus content, then consider becoming a patron starting at one pound per month. It's support from our patrons that really helps to keep the show going. By becoming a patron, you get access to extra bonus content, patron-only interviews, panels, workshops, and much more. To join, just head over to patreon.com slash coffeeandcocktailspodcast. Otherwise, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.